Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winging It F1 podcast. This is our in-between Bahrain and Imola episode for this week, <laughs> episode 63. Um, I'm Freddie Coates. I am joined by Adam Dickinson and Nigel Chu. And as a special guest this week, we have Taib Abu, who is a writer with Adam and I for lastlap.co.uk. He also writes for many places. I have seen so many handles on his Twitter account that I'm going to let Taib introduce yourself to our 16 fans. Hello, Taib. Hello, lads. Uh, I'm, I'm glad, glad to be on. I've been on a few pods, but, you know, Formula One is, you know, the, my favourite sport. My first love is a sport, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to join you guys. Like, you guys are cool, so this should be a good however long it is, you know. It's, it's no problem at all. It's brilliant to have you here, mate. We're um, we're always happy just to chat to anybody about Formula One. In our sort of preamble uh, Zoom before this podcast, we, we've gone on for about half an hour already just discussing the pros and cons of Sebastian Vettel's early career. So we'll probably get on to something like that later on. Um, of course, as usual, I've got Adam Dickinson and Nigel Chu here to um, throw insults at each other. Um, <laughs> Nigel Chu, how are you doing this morning? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Uh, we've, me and Adam have already had a few jabs at each other over the last 24 hours, as, as usual. So <laughs> it's really interesting. Adam, have you yeah, been crying into your pillow, as usual? No, I'd just like to start out this episode by saying Nigel smells. But no, I'm good. Um, <laughs> I've been a nice long weekend. I had I was on WAS on Saturday, and that was a good game, although to finish. Um, but yeah, and then it has been a nice long weekend, and Nice weather, sun's out again today, hopefully a bit warmer than yesterday. But yeah, I think that <laughs> I've managed to crack <laughs> Nigel and Freddie up already, which is a good Nigel start. Smells. I mean, what the hell? Good start to the episode. Well, we're meant to throw insults at each other, apparently. I thought we were oh, just yeah. going to go on as normal, but like... Keep, keep it up. Um, <laughs> all right. The first contentious rubbish issue. playing for... table tennis as well, just while we're at it. But anyway, carry on. The first contentious issue for Adam and Nigel to, to, to um, fall out over is the Formula 2 Championship, which is what we're going to dedicate a lot of time to in this episode. Obviously, Formula 2 kick-started um, as well at the Bahrain Grand Prix weekend with three races for the new fancy format that we have in Formula 2 this year. Um, do you guys think the format worked out? We obviously had um, qualifying and then a reverse grid sprint race, then a reverse grid sprint race, and then a feature race on the Sunday. Um Nigel threw a thumbs down, but I'm going to go to our guest, Taib. What did you think of the Formula 2 format? As a TV kind of spectacle, I think it worked just because it created more things. Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd, so Sky if one's generally glued to my TV on, on a weekend. So as a TV thing, I, th- I think it worked. From a racing point of view, not really. It, it's just, I, I, think, I think the thing with F2 is you've got too many kind of Desperado guys like Dan Tickdom or people like that <laughs> that that are just so ultra aggressive and, and, and I, I think the standard of driving was worse than even normal. You know, like even from good drivers like Robert Schwartzman, I think it was in that second sprint race or might have been in the future race. I don't know now, but when he's come across the gravel on the exit of turn two and then he's rear-ended 
Who did he rear end? Was it Dan Tickton? I can't remember now off the top of my head. A turn I think for it was, yeah. Was it Dan Tickton? Yeah. So... Uh, ironically, yeah. Yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's the irony of it all. And you know, he's he's a quality driver. So I just feel like from a TV perspective, and probably when hopefully they get fans back into the stands, I think it works from a racing perspective and for like the quality of championship, probably not. Mm. I'll tell you, what, I, I mean I've I've been very Opinionative, opinionative is that a word? It, it's opinionated, a word now. opinionated, opinionated. There we go. There you go. English, uh, <laughs> before, before the F2 season, and I really did not like the format, but it was actually better than I expected. I'll be honest. Uh, still got p- big problems with the big spaces in between the events and the calendar, but the format wasn't too bad. I st- I'm still not a fan of how if you do have a problem in qualified you'll be at the back of the grid for three races or well, if you can't come through, can't come through in the first race or whatever, I think, I think the penalty is too big, but it was actually better than I thought. So positive. I still don't like reverse grid races. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 get, I get what you're saying. Both of you that, yeah, it feels a, there's artificial and then there's like, scripted and stuff like that it kind of it feels like it's so thrown into the hat and the 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 pr line being oh let's teach them how to race that's karting that's not um formula two level if you can't race in formula two then then you should be at the back um to be honest in formula two (laughs) yeah you're right unless you're (laughs) a ledger um and it's kind of like i really enjoyed the races and i really enjoyed having three races like i really enjoyed so much formula two but like you say it's like we're not got this until monaco now and that's it's not going to work in monaco you can't overtake in in, in any car in monaco so I'm, I'm i'm i feel like bahrain was probably one of the best tracks for it and that's yeah bahrain's that's the best track now. for racing in general i think to be honest out of out of the pole calendar i'd say silverstone might be good for it and yeah, silverstone. Yeah. um i know Baku would probably be a bit bonkers, and there, there, was, there was the opportunity for some good drives because obviously there were fast drivers further back. Richard for sure came through from you got knocked round at the start of a race and then ended up finishing fourth anyway, despite being seventeenth or eighteenth at one point. Came all the way through the field, and that was fantastic. And there's an opportunity for drives like that. And obviously Yuri Vips started twenty second, and then in one in the first race because of qualifying, um, and then because he was able to be fast enough to drive through to 10th place. He got a reverse grid pole for the next race, but not everyone's Yuri Vips. So like, it, yeah, it's harder for that, but um, it's, yeah, there were some weird, weird ways of it ha- playing out, but that's kind of how we've got to deal with it now. And I thought, to be honest, it was, it was like you, Nigel, better than I thought it would be. Mm, I think I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was tough. Was it Teo Porsche who retired, who was, going great guns in the first race and then had an issue. Um, uh, I think it was. Like, I think it I was. But it, it, it feels like, I think like we said before, it, and like Taib alluded to, it does it does kind of punish having, you know, a, an issue that isn't your fault and it can absolutely torpedo your weekend. And I think that's, that's what it was for Teo and it's tougher him but yeah I, th- I think there were I enjoyed seeing where everyone is in terms of pecking order I think we'll get on to that in a minute but 
Yeah, I think, as you say, it's good kind of entertainment within the weekend. Um, I enjoyed it, but outside of that, mm, there's a lot to be desired, especially because it's not like Formula 3's on all the other weekends. If it was like Formula 2, then Formula 3, then F2, that, like, that'd be a bit better. But it's not. There's a massive gap until we've got any um, F1 weekend junior series racing. Yeah, we've got Formula 3 at the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, yeah. And the, at least, like... They're kind of like the big gap where it used to not be, which is sort of followed like mid-September through to November with sort of Russian Grand Prix out to Abu Dhabi. At least you've got then you've got Formula 3 is going to Kota and is going mm. um, to a few other places, which will be interesting. But I mean, it, it also defeats the point of saying, oh, it's a cost-cutting measure, but we're going to go to America. So you've got to look at it like they're just... What the Pilgrim Fathers said. And now look. Yeah, and they're, they're, there's no massive Formula 3 presence in America in the past 300 years so there we go um but yeah it, it's going to be interesting to see the format in formula three because you've got i think you've got, you've got a 30 car grid and you've got the reverses are, are um for 12 cars rather than 10 cars so it's going to be even more punishing of any issues you'd think yeah formula three is going to be very interesting but we can Adam, talk about that before Barcelona. Yeah, Adam's very excited for Formula 3, you can tell. Um, so, right, let's just go on to um, some drivers who impressed us over the course of the Formula 2, the first Formula 2 um, round. Um, Taib, you've already, you've already touched on being disappointed with Robert Schwartzman and potentially Dan Ticton. Was there anyone else who um, was completely the opposite of that for you? Yeah, I thought Liam Lawson. I, th- I thought Liam Lawson was very impressive. He kind of looked, again, with this format, it's tricky to kind of be consistent generally, like in terms of pace throughout the full three races. But I thought his pace overall in all three events was actually pretty good. Um, It's, again, one of the reasons why I don't like the format because I don't think it's necessarily fair. But he looked good. I thought Jahan Daruvala did better, even though I'm not the biggest fan of him, Mm. Um, just because I was thinking, He's kind of lucky to have a seat in Formula <laughs> 2 last year. Um, but I've got to say, he kind of proved me wrong. And he looked better. He looked better than what he did last year. So they were the kind of two. For sure, did well. Um, it was a kind of new new driver into the series. So I thought those three in particular really impressed me. Um, but yeah, on the, on the flip side, I was really disappointed with Schwartzman. As a Ferrari fan, you're kind of thinking, is he the next? And I thought it was just a poor weekend overall, really, for Robert Schwartzman. In the next yeah. to Tyler Petrov. Um, yeah, I think, again, Liam Lawson really stood out because he was someone that didn't... He was quite hyped coming into the F3 season and then was a bit... Of a, yeah, good. He was good. Bit pot- yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, to, for him to then come in and really put his stamp on the F2 season this year, he looked good in all three race, races. I know he um, got spun in the second sprint race, but he was doing well again there so yeah I thought he was looking good Piastri obviously got his win which is good for him and he he looks like he's going to be making himself competitive over the season which is what we'd like to see really from a prodigy talent mm. which is what he is having won the uh, F3 last year and Guang Yuzhou was probably better than I expected although I know he's got the advantage of being in his third year but you know it's nice nice seeing him around and doing well and getting a win, which is Ref always him. good. Sheffield um, lad, as we are obliged to say every time we uh, mention him. I think, yeah, what Liam, what impressed me with Liam Lawson was his tyre um, 
tire life preservation. The fact that he was able to keep in the first race, he was being he just he got in he got in front and stayed in front for every lap of that race and was able to hold off um Jan Derubler, um, who was much faster than him in that race, he was able to hold them off and he was able to use his tires to the exact length of the race perfectly. His tires weren't gone, which was insane in his first race to be able to manage that, particularly at Bahrain, which is a very abrasive surface and particularly on these Formula 2 Pirelli tyres, which are absolutely atrocious tyres. Um, so I was really impressed with Lawson for that. Piastri just made my heart sink when in the feature race he um, stalled the car after he was um, a little bit of a little bit ambitious in battle, but it was a racing incident that spun him out um, in fight with or oh, takes him probably. Um, and yeah, who else? Yeah, we've mentioned for sure. Um, a lot of blue on the grid. A lot of blue on the grid. It's 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 always then, taking it, taking. I think Drogovic looked like a Alpine Academy driver when in fact he isn't. He's just got mm. the exact same shade of blue on his car. Again, cost cutting measures. Um, just just make him look like the other car. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, um, we've not left many people for you to to throw in the hat. I don't oh, think that's all right. I, I think you like for Christian me, Lingard, but yeah, I'm a big, big hope. Not want to say fan, but hope hoper. I'm making up words this morning. I'm, I'm a big Messiah? yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think Lingard will do Follower, very apostle. well. Apostle, and... you're a Lingard apostle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting called many things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think the rookies really stood out. They all did better than I mm. expected, especially Piastri. I think he, he kind of proved what he did last year when he was a super smart, clinical, choosing uh, the right battles to attack and defend, apart from the Dan Tictum incident at the end, which which could be quite costly, perhaps we will look back at. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I've never been on the... Piastri hype train, I'd say, but I think I think he's kind of changed my perception of him in, in the Bahrain weekend because for you know for a first ever Formula Two event, I think he was super smart and he, he really showed that, he, that he's got a strong mind. And I think Liam Lawson is in that category as well. He, he wasn't a driver I, I thought would do well, but on a track like Bahrain, which is so tough on the tyres, it's probably one of the toughest circuits you could go to as a new driver in terms of tyre management. I think he did really well. And I think Tail Porsche was had a lot of misfortune. The, the mm. results probably didn't show how well he did. Uh, but he, he's another driver who I think he'll, will will definitely come along as the season goes on. But I think for Guan Yuzhou in the championship lead, he always has to win the championship this year, maybe even dominate it if he yeah. wants a place on the F1 grid. And he's definitely starting off pretty much perfectly, I'd say, with the with the new format. But I'm really, really excited by the by the rookies this year. I think I think the grid is is really good. Yes, I think some of the racing was a bit iffy, but I'd put that down to race rustiness, perhaps, although they are top drivers. Uh, but yeah, I think it is quite exciting. And like I said, the field is is really high high quality this year. Mm, I think I don't know. I I, I think Joe's going to struggle, even if he does dominate to get on the grid because yeah. it's just so competitive now. Um, the just two of the drivers that 
I'd like to mention is one is David Beckman, who coming into the weekend, the most notable thing about him was he was nearly David Beckham, but that wasn't quite. the most notable thing about him. No. He's been a solid F3 driver for a good few years. He has been a very fast driver and he was very good in testing. Very and now good in he's testing. an F2 podium sitter, so he will here to here forth be introduced as David Beckman, F2 podium sitter rather than. David Beckman, nearly David Beckham. And Matteo Nanini, his quest to win the F2 and F3 championships didn't get off to the best start. He only picked up a solitary point. But he will go again. I'm sure he will. I'm all about Nanini hype train to win both championships this year. I'm looking forward to it. But yes. he's got it all to do from now in Monaco. Matteo Nanini is this podcast's favourite driver because of that, um, that, that quest, as Adam so rightly puts it. Of course, the real crime of the Formula 2 grid is that Logan Sargent doesn't have a seat, but we don't need to get into that now. Um, we could anoint I, one driver to be like this Logan Sargent in spirit. Who's what Logan driver Sargent is there not much spirit? to say about? Um, ben Viscal. I've not got anything on him. He's been actually quite handy, I think. Um, not he's in, what is he? He's in a Trident um, or a Chiruz. I always forget which one's which. Um He's got an Iron Man helmet. He's his own man. Um, his Iron Man helmet is all Alex Jake's mentions about him, but it's it's great. <laughs> um, Where is this episode going? It's going everywhere. Um, I, I'll tell you who I was disappointed with. Marcus Armstrong. I thought he should have done yeah. better. I was expecting really? him to be fighting for pole, and he really wasn't. much expectation for him, to be honest. Yeah, he's, he's had... Some, brilliant years in other junior formula and then he didn't quite click with formula two last year but he had the opportunity to do what everyone does in formula two which is to click with it in the second year so hopefully he will do in in, in the coming rounds because he's he's you know he's he's got talent there he just hasn't clicked with formula two it's like the, it's opposite the worst of antipodean in the series so far yes we've only had one what, round I'll, yeah i'll tell you what makes it difficult to judge is not only that you know we've done two reverse grid races but the in the feature race which they started in the qualifying order uh, there was that safety car and virtual safety car which really helped was it for sure he ended up in the lead or Armstrong I can't remember but that elevated them straight to the front and that kind of messed up the order so it makes it even harder to, to judge because I think I think Lungard and Piastri, that they would have been the top two if had it yeah. been like a green flag to the end. But the safety car or virtual safety car helped some others uh, go go to the front of the race. So it makes it even more difficult to rate how well everyone did because it just completely turned the race on, on its head. Yeah, that's how Formula Two really is, isn't it? Um, you like look at Matsushita's <laughs> win last year. That came from out of the blue, out of nowhere. Because um, because of race. because of a, head. Sorry, not turn back around now. For audio listeners who don't get Adam's um, <laughs> joke, he turned his camera upside down because he's a he's child. Um, I, I actually I actually turned my room and myself upside down. The camera stayed where it was. Yes, he barrel rolled his house. Um, <laughs> Talking of um, barrel rolls, that's not a segue I can use to the next thing. But here we go. Um, Sebastian Vettel. Um, our next topic. Um, someone who doesn't barrel roll often, 
Um, yes. So Helmut Marko <laughs> said recently that um, that um, Vettel should have taken a year off from F1 in 2021 instead of joining Aston Martin because he needs to kind of ground himself. Um, and he's been a little bit put upon. Obviously, the sack from Ferrari will have hit him very hard. That's something personally that a person that you're not going to like um and the way it's been handled from ferrari is is a little bit saucy um to say the least the way um you see a lot of phrases coming out of mattia bonotto that he's like oh look at us now we've got two drivers in the team and stuff like that it's just like he's very happy to see the back of sebastian vettel um so what do we think about that proposition ty do you think sebastian vettel should have done something like an Alan Prost taken after he was sat from Ferrari, sit out for a bit and come back in with uh, a monster seat if he can do. I think the difference from now and then when Alan Prost did it is I think one of the bigger problems is say, for example, Vettel took a year off and he decided to do whatever. And let's like, I don't think in any situation Red Bull were ever going to ever carry on with Alex Albon. That had just become untenable with the precedent they set with Pierre Gasly. Perez is a really good driver. Like, Perez could do really well. Vettel could take a year out thinking, oh, I'll jump into the Red Bull seat in 2022. And then if they decide, oh, look, we're just going to stick with Sergio Perez, then he's boxed himself out of a drive. You're better off being in Formula One and then kind of controlling your own thing of, oh, well, Seb's had a great season. We've got to give him another shot instead of being away from it all and then somebody else. Because Formula One, very quickly, people will take somebody else's drive. It moves like... Ferrari was Seb's team. It took Leclerc like 10 races to change that. Do you know what I mean? So the same could have happened if Seb had gone, you know what, I'll see you in 12 months' time. And if Perez does really well and helps Max to win the World Championship or they win the Constructors' Championship, they're not going to break that up and then bring in a four-time World Champion who's going to want to reassert himself on Max Verstappen. So... I, th- I think no, because there's no, there's no knowing if there's a seat there. If they had carried on with Alex Albon in 2021, then maybe you think, yeah, because, you know, Albon, like, he didn't do it in 2020. There's what, what What's to say that he's going to improve in 2021? Then maybe, but I just think the way it shook out with Perez taking the red, he was better off staying at Aston Martin and kind of rebuilding his reputation. I think I'd agree with that. If, if Red Bull really wanted him, then they should have gone for him. You know, that's if if that was the case and they thought Seb was their driver that they wanted, then they should have gone for him. And it, as it turns out, that might be the right decision. Although, you know, I don't necessarily think he would be an upgrade on Albon. But yeah, I think for I don't know, it, it doesn't really feel like Marco's place to be saying that. But you know, I guess he says what he wants. He's not going to care what we say about him either. But yeah, I I think Seb's in a in a tough spot at the moment anyway and yeah where, where, where does his career go from here is he going to be able to rebuild at Aston Martin it's maybe not the team that he thought he was going to or that he would have hoped he was going to and Otmar Safano has had things to say about that which we might touch on later or might not but yeah it, it, it's different from Alan Prost because of the position he's in and the driver that he is at the moment isn't the same as the driver that Alan Pross was when he took a year out, I believe anyway. And yeah, like like Taib said, it's 
things move very quickly. And like last season, things move from George Russell being locked down at Williams to Perez nicking his seat to Perez not nicking his seat in the space of about a week, which was one of the weirdest rumours that I remember from last season. But things just move so quickly. And you, when you take a year out, even if you take a few races out, you have no idea what landscape you're going to be coming back into. Well, that's that's the thing. You look at, for example, obviously when Hamilton had COVID, it took George one race. It took George one race, and all of a sudden, Valtteri Bottas had been there for four years. Everyone was like, "Well, surely George Russell should be in the second Mercedes seat." Um, if you give or the somebody first else, Mercedes seat. yeah, yeah. If you give somebody twenty-three races to forge a reputation, and they do well, you're not going to come back in, like. It happens with people like Jack Villeneuve got it with Robert Kubica, I think, when Villeneuve crashed in Montreal and he had a concussion. And he said, oh, we'll put Kubica in. And then he did really well. And Villeneuve never came back. And that was the end of his... Like, he got dumped out. He didn't even get to retire on his own terms. Um, yeah. I think the biggest thing with Seb is he's got 22 races and the ball's kind of in his court. You know, like, that team will put everything behind him because he is... Like, he still brings cash here. He's still a four-times world champion. Um, and he's better than Lance Stroll. If he can hook it all together, he just is like I like Lance, but I, I, I like I says I, I don't know. It's 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 maybe like to me he just reminds me of like reality TV star Lance. That's like that's like got to drive because his dad's got like loads of money. But I, I feel like I feel like Seb Aston Martin will give him time, and I think if he can work it out there, then there's no re- reason why like this should be seen as like the start at the end. Do you think he will work it out, Tyab? I think he's got the determination to. I, 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 like, I don't know Seb, obviously, personally. I wish I did. But, <laughs> um, um, he like Sebastian's cool Vettel's like, listening and he does want to call on his podcast. Please, <laughs> drop us a DM on Twitter. <laughs> at, at Lap F1. Yeah, he doesn't have Twitter. Not that yeah. F1. Uh, Wing it, yeah, F1. He has plenty of fan Twitters. But um, no, it's, it's, I think no matter how kind of when you've experienced that much success that he has, nobody likes being written off. Like, no matter kind of how verbose a character he may or may not be. Um, so so I think I think Seb will work it out. I think the bigger problem for him is, is the Aston Martin going to be competitive compared to the Alpha Tauri, the McLaren and the Ferrari, which look like they had a clear edge over Aston Martin. Like, the midfield looks like two midfields. You've got Alpha Tauri, Ferrari and McLaren. And then you've got kind of Aston Martin, Alpine and Alfa Romeo. I think Seb can work it out in terms of beach stroll, but can the team work it out to get to where they want to be? I don't think the team can work it out because we've got the... Um, I think if they if we had um, stability in regs and they would throw everything at figuring out their unstable rear end that they've, they've inherited with these new rake regulations that have impacted the um not rate regulations floor regulations that have impacted the low rate concept cars which is obviously where aston martin's um car lies based on their um previous seasons um inspiration let's say um from the world champions um so i kind of think it's going to be there's gonna be less opportunity from the team to give them a more um comfortable car that in terms of performance um for, for Stroll and Vettel, that is. So it's going to be, they're going to be really honing this car a lot and there's not going to be many upgrades to it. And so whether they can get to a good setup, that's cool. But whether they can get performance in, um, when they get up the grid is different. I mean, I think the majority of input from that will be just how they 
just how they race and that they're, they're a smart team they're a really smart team and Vettel is obviously a really really intelligent driver so I think that the majority is going to come from intelligence and race race approach if that makes sense yeah. but obviously Vettel's yeah. made something like what I think I think I saw a stat from Ed Straw's article for the race mm. like 13 in-race errors in the past 53 races I want to say which is yeah that's not on, I'm afraid. And he's, you're right, he's got the cachet of a four-time world champion. And that's what's got him to Aston Martin because if he didn't have that, and he, would, he would be out of Formula 1 unceremoniously, yeah. which is really sad because he, it's the thing, we know he can do it. And for the most part of 2018 and 2019, he was doing it. And it, so it's just kind of like, where... Where's it going to come from? What's going to happen? What's going to click? And something does need to click. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if it does. It's an and beyond deal. So he's there for 2022. Yeah. So who knows how the new regs will work? I think, do do we know that he can do it? I think we know that he could do it. And we know that he has done it. I don't. But do we know that he still... I I, I'm the same. I, I, I'd actually put Lance Stroll ahead of Seb, really. And I think they're... I won't go that far. <laughs> like like, like um, Taib said with Lance, it, it feels like both of them are kind of there, not not due to their driving level at the moment, their current driving level. I think neither of them are there primarily for that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think we're yet to see whether Seb can be at the level of... Uh, one of the top midfield drivers, you know, I'm, I'm really not sure about that. And that's what Aston need, especially if they've not got a a car that can compete. I think they both seem quite similar in that they can, they can pull results out on occasion and they can do quite brilliant drives really to, to get results, but they're, they're not, neither of them seem that consistent at the moment. And I think there's, there is big question marks over there. I thought, before the season, I thought it'd be Alpine that had the question marks over them, but actually, I think it's more Aston at the moment. Yeah, I think that's fair. I will say this has kind of put them back, not from 2020, kind of where they were with Force India. Like, I always call them the great scramblers. Like, they never necessarily had the best car, like in that kind of intermittent period between 2014 and 2019. They never necessarily had the best car, but like what Freddie said, like their teamwork and the way they could strategize kind of those bizarre races to get Sergio Perez into a third place or a fourth place or a fifth. They're going to have to do that. And I think the one thing I will say about Seb is as much as it seems, again, it seems like it hinges all on that Hockenheim moment when he ended up in the gravel trap with the sax curve. For all of that, it feels like it's one moment that sent him spiraling. It could be one big moment that turns it around for him. I'll never doubt his speed because he's one of the fastest drivers I've ever seen drive a Formula One car. Um, but it's just... It's the mistakes. I will say there were mitigating circumstances in terms of Bahrain. Like, the testing reliabilities hurt them. Yeah, yeah. Then Mr. Mazepin spins in front of him at turn one. Um, then you had Sainz's weird cutout problem uh, on the run down to turn 10. So that was his qualifying balked there. Um, and then that put him on the back foot for the whole week. And then he got the grid penalty, which didn't really make a difference. I think he's just got to cut out the errors. If he drives a clean race, he should generally be okay. But it's whether you can drive, be the error. So I think the errors come from just being a desperation, a rashness, because he's not used to driving 
in the midfield and oh. battling for 10th and 11th and 9th. Do you know what I mean? That's why, like, when he was out in front in his Red Bull days, mm. he was flawless. You almost never made mistakes. Um, I think he's not used to being on the back foot as well. Like, not just, not yeah. necessarily in the midfield, but like when he was in Torosso, you know, certainly towards in, in the 2008 season, he was, even though he was in the midfield, he was on the front foot and he was, you know, a really quality driver and he it felt like he had a lot of self-belief and self-confidence and when he went to Ferrari even though yes they weren't battling with the Mercedes again at the, at the start of his time there it really felt like he he was again he was building momentum and building momentum for the team and I think now it's kind of the opposite where it's not really been the case like that for the since Leclerc came into the team really I think or even since the Hockenheim's been like you say so I think it's it's yeah it's desperation, but it's also it, he's been in these positions before. But when he's been in these positions before, he's been on the way up, and it kind of doesn't feel like that's the case anymore. Would you say he's been on the way up because he's he's been he's been down and he's brought himself back up? Would you say he's been pushed back up by others because you say like he's been in poor positions? But you look at like 2012 where he was fifty points off the championship, and then he just went and won one one races and won the championship out of like after a mega drive from the back of the grid in a damaged car that's I think that's that that's was cool that's calm that's so he that's me saying he's proved he can do it and I, I get what you're saying he could do it and it's whether it is past tense and it's really uh, it's a hard one for me to grasp with that for me I think Vettel should have won the 2012 and 2010 championships a lot earlier really and, and I think the fact Alonso was able to take take the 2012 title down to Brazil to the final race. It should never have even got there. And yes, you can argue Vettel was young, but the car he had, the Red Bull he had, he had everything going for him. I don't think he should have let it happen. And I think Tony made a great point before, uh, saying that Vettel was is a great front runner. And he's probably one of the best front runners we've ever seen. He was... I remember after the first lap or two, he used to have like a two or three second gap, which was massive in, in you know, 10, 11 years ago or whatever. But I think the big problem is he doesn't, he struggles in the midfield and I don't think he's the best at wheel-to-wheel racing and I don't think he's the best at following cars and that is, you know, a massive problem if if you're not out front. So I think, I think he's always had these weaknesses but we've just never been able to see it until recently, I guess. You can, I guess in 2014, uh, when Ricardo beat him, that was that there was kind of a sign there. But over the last couple of years, he really hasn't been on it at all. And and it's it's interesting again. Tony mentioned before with Germany 2018 how that could have been the start of the downfall, and I'd I'd, I'd have to agree with that. I think 2017 Singapore and 2018 Hockenheim, those were massive moments. And ever since 2018, I've kind of been waiting for a big moment for Vettel to turn it round, but it just hasn't happened, and I don't think it will happen personally. So it, it's a it's a bizarre one. I think it's one of the most strange cases for F1 driver ever because he's a four-time world champion, yet the other uh, multiple champions in F1, Senna, Prost, Schumacher, Hamilton, Fangio, I wouldn't put Vettel anywhere near that that category or, or that level. I just don't... He, he, yeah, I don't think he's, he 
he's anywhere near those those drivers. And it's just so strange how he can be so good. And then now he's just, he's almost lost it all and he's he's fighting to to keep his reputation really. And and it's just it's just bizarre. It it, it really is. It's it's really interesting to think about that. And I I think it's partly because he he won in four years. He just won he nearly won in oh nine and then it was just bam 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 bam. That might have been five pounds. I couldn't really count. But he, he just kind of won in this short period and then wasn't kind of really I know he was in championship fights, but he kind of was never, you know, in a yeah, he, he was never in kind of a, a true championship decider um after that. And I think I think partly without wishing to get too macabre is that he survived because I think F1 does have a thing where drivers, multiple world champions who survive aren't kind of held in the same um, mystique as as those who unfortunately didn't. So, and obviously that's kind of come, come out of the sports got a lot safer, thankfully. But you, do, you, you've got this decline now rather than, with with other drivers and obviously Senna's probably the main one that there's always this thought of what might have been with with Vettel it's he went in 2013 and then that was it really on time yeah yeah no I, I think those are all fair points I will say on the 2012 thing the the first part of that season because that was the season where they took the blown diffuser away um, mm. So the first part of the season, the Red Bull wasn't as quick as what you did think. He had a few alternator failures, I think Valencia and Monza as well, just kind of, while that car became a great car, didn't necessarily start as a great car. Um, don't forget McLaren took pole position in the first two Grand Prix of that season. Um, I think I think the biggest thing with Seb is, it's, it's just got to be that thing of, it seems like he's always on the back foot. It seems like he's fighting against something bigger than just driving the car on a racetrack. Um, and maybe that does affect him. Like, none of us, unfortunately, none of us here are probably going to be elite sports people at, at, any, at, any, at any point. Um, sadly, sadly for all of us. But, um, like, that's the hardest thing, like, we could probably never get into. As, like, an outsider, like, how does it affect people mentally? Because some drivers would come back from the Hockenheim spin and be like, do you know what? I'm not going to let that define me. But then, and it's the same with other sports people. Um, I don't know enough about other sports to kind of reference it. Um, oh no, like David Beckham, the time he got sent off against Argentina, um, he could have let that kind of spiral into a negative, but he used it as a positive and then United win the Champions League and whatever else. Um, it just feels like, Seb, since that moment, like everything kind of mentally has been on a kind of negative downer this whole time. Mm. And I don't know how, and I don't know how you can. Even as great as the success he's had, that's the one thing I don't know how you can get out of. Yeah, it's confidence, isn't it? And I think in every sport, confidence is a huge thing. And I think Vettel, more than, more than some other drivers on the grid, he relies on that confidence and momentum yeah. more than others. And he's probably not the best at bouncing back from a yeah. a, a big error or, error or, or, or mistake or bad luck or, or something like that. And he just needs something to something to get him going, but he just hasn't been able to do that for for a long time. And I think that is the that is the thing for me. It, it's been so long since I've been, you know, impressed. I guess by Vettel uh, 
he had Turkey last year, perhaps, but other than that, Spain last year was decent and quite funny. <laughs> yeah, but... I, mean, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we think about Howerton and he's had some incredible moments, but with Vettel, other than his Toy Rosso first win, which was one of the greatest things Ford One has ever seen, there's no other big moments that stand out and think, oh, wow, we're, we're going to be thinking about that in 20, 30 years' time. But for me, anyway, mm. I don't know about you. I, I think the one. One thing that sticks out to me is, I think it was 2013, where he won, he won like the last nine races yeah. or whatever of the season. And like as a fan, it was like coming out of the summer and it was like, oh, it's, um, you know, it feels possible that he might be able to, you know, like it, it, anyone's title. And then he just won. And then like they go to the next track and he just win again. And then he'd go to the next track and it was like just built up. So by the end of that stretch, it just felt inevitable that he won like the last three races or whatever. So I think that's one that sticks out to me. But I think the other thing is kind of the Hamilton the Hamilton factor that maybe that's as Toby said, he, he seems to be kind of fighting something, you know, bigger than driving on a track. I think the Hamilton factor in that he, you know, from from twenty thirteen he said was the driver of his generation and Hamilton was kind of the also ran or the you know, driver who'd had an amazing start but had gone off he the boil. Mm, and and now it's just completely that script is completely flipped. And I don't know whether that's kind of what he's been fighting against. I don't know. You know, it's 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 his mentality and what he thinks about. But to me from the outside that feels like it could be, you know, kind of desperately trying to fight Hamilton and show that he is the driver, but never being able to do that. Like, like I said, I, th- I think it's so much. Like, he went to Ferrari. Obviously, Fred, you've got the Schumacher poster in the back. That Michael was his hero, and he wanted to win. He wanted to win the world championship for Ferrari, like what Michael did. I don't know what that funny painting is in the background of Adam's room. Um, <laughs> but, um, like, I only know Formula One posters. If it's like a, it, it could be a money, and I'd have no idea what a money is. So, um, I, I don't know. I didn't do that last week, though. actually. I like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've lost I've lost my train of thought now. Um what was I gonna say? Yeah, so he went there with a dream, and you think since obviously 2017, they were kind of in the fight going into the last kind of seven or eight races, and then he crashes out at Singapore. He had the uh, reliability problem in Malaysia qualified and it kind of got ripped away from him before you could even kind of understand what happened again. 2018 Hockenheim seems like a sliding doors moment. Then he goes to Monza, Kimmy stole his thunder by taking pole position. He Still in, he's still Which is in a, a mess. Yeah, um, he's still. It was, it was great fun to watch, but Kimmy shouldn't have been sent out after him in a championship fight like that. Yeah, in a cha- Yeah, that's what I don't understand. Which I understand why he was kind of pissed off with that, um, and then he took that kind of anger into the race. He spins at the second chicane. His race is basically finished by then, and then again the world championship just gets run away from him. Then he falls out with a river Benny, and then. This upstart comes from Sauber and, and, and he beats him hand, you know, hands down. What was it? I don't know, 10 races, 11 races. Charlotte qualified him in a row and all yeah. he gets that race robbed in Montreal. You just think all these things have kind of spiraled into a point now where, like, for example, Max Verstappen could crash in every session of a Grand Prix weekend and he would still turn around on a Sunday afternoon and goes, Yeah, but I'm the best. That's just his mindset. I think all these things have just kind of snowballed into Seb's psyche and I, I, I don't know how some drivers some people are capable of kind of turning that around that's my not the speed yeah. factor I, I don't know if Seb can all these things that have 
gone against him, whether it was the World Championship in 1870, Charles Leclerc being dumped out by Ferrari in the middle of a pandemic when, you know, Ferrari made it clear they didn't want anything to do with him. And again, that was the team that he wanted to race for. That was his dream. And it, again, it got snatched away from him. I, I don't know how you can bounce back from that from a mental point of view. I know I couldn't, but again, that's why I'm spending a sunny day in Newcastle sitting talking to you guys. Although I like you guys, but you know, I'm not like I'm not testing in Barcelona or driving a GT car around Misano or somewhere, you know. Nigel's yeah, not you look at, um, an hour. <laughs> <laughs> you look at Senna, um Ethan Senna, and a look back. I mean, obviously none of us lived through his career or knew any of what was going on on the on the ground. But I get the impression he's always was a driver who would thrive when the world was against him. And you had so much going on with Jean-Marie Balestra and the FIA um, that would get his hump, get his hump up and get his back up and stuff like that. And he, that's when he would just blitz and be like, well, you don't like having me here. Well, I'm going to force you to have me here and put in stunning performances and stuff like that. And the world was against him and that made him prove that he deserved to improve his success. And with Vettel, like he seemed to thrive when he as the golden boy and as the golden boy slipped from Ferrari he started to slip and more so as it went on 1920 then there was a new um the new prodigy of Charles Leclerc and Vettel got worse and worse and worse and it, it kind of like he's gone into a team where the team the whole concept of the team is to give Lance Stroll a Formula One drive and and maybe advantage so it's it's kind of like that's gonna that's gonna stick surely that mentality is gonna stick you're you're going to be always the the second choice in that team whereas when you were the best Seb you were considered and seen as the best and when he was the best at Ferrari it was 2015 say when he did some fantastic drives and he was on top of Kimi like crazy and he was he was the number one fan of the Tafosi everywhere. And then as it slipped, it slipped. And yeah, it he needs he needs he needs the backup and I don't think he's getting it. Is it is it true he's never won from below third on the grid or something? Which is uh, insane, yeah. I think. Yeah. But that's, that speaks more not, of his qualifying, to be honest. It does, but I also think it speaks about his race prowesses. Pro prowess, I think. Well, I mean, we could probably yeah, do a deep dive but, into that. But. but how many, until last year, how many bad qualify, like a bad qualifying for him would be like fourth. You know, like yeah, um, he is he's one of the best qualifiers. Again, I don't think like we should never take, I don't think it's a speed problem with him. I just think it's, it's, it's a mindset kind of like, mm. like again, it's just confidence and, and like we can't speak to it again. Unfortunately, we never played elite sport at any level. Um, I did play badminton in year five, but you know that was that. <laughs> that, that, that was that, that was easy. That was easy. Um, but yeah, and, and and I don't know. Does he need a psycho? Does he? I don't know how you kind of get out of that funk that he's in. Yeah, I think I've been following Was rugby now for six seven years and it's the exact same it's like some some weeks they can be absolutely brilliant or they go through patches where they're one of the best teams in Europe and then they go through patches where they're one of the worst teams in the premiership and it it just seems so inexplicable that you know you might have like one player coming in and one player coming out and it just completely changes the whole mindset and 
yeah, I, I it, it feels like the same with with Seb that it's just it, 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 you can't put a finger on where he's kind of lost lost his speed or lost you know just that that extra one percent that that made him into a champion. But you know, I think he's he's still got his drive, which is that that's crucial to any driver. And you know, he he still clearly wants to be there, which obviously. In F1, it's not a case of I want it more, so I'm going to be world champion because there's another 15 drivers who want it just as bad. But the fact that he still wants to be there, I think he does still want to turn it around. And I, read, I, I, I hope he does, and mm. I hope he kind of he continues that, and it does have some happy ending, or you know, even even just you know a podium in his last season, or you know some some result like that. I think that would be. You know, a way that he deserved to sign off because as as we said it's been it's been a very curious career but you know it ultimately he is one of the great f1 drivers and his records speak for that and you don't just fall over into four world championships so you know i i, I hope he has that moment moment in the sun at least one more time i think we all do i think yeah you you can't it's, you can't really not be a fan of of the lad he's a he's a brilliant guy and is brilliant for Formula One and um, I think yeah the only bit of advice I could say to him would be dance like nobody's watching that kind of thing just like don't get swept up in everything just be a good dancer if anyone is it's obviously Sebastian Vettel um, also I will say to everyone watch um, Mahindra Formula E's latest thing on social media called The Switch which is strictly professional dancers teaching Alex Lynn and Alexander Sims how to dance and they're the Formula E drivers and it's just insane PR so watch that but also yeah um, if Seb can just block everything oh. out then just do that um, but yes moving on to more of a, a less um, well actually carrying on with the mindset thing we're going to go and delve into our guest Taib's mind with um, our final part of this podcast, which we That's like to call... That's a scary place to be. That's a scary place to be. It is a scary place to be. We're going to find out. About to find out. <laughs> yeah. We're going to... I, I, I ended on a cliffhanger of having to come up with a quick name for this segment. Um, questioning Taib. I don't know. Um, let's question Taib. Bay. <laughs> <laughs> It depends how, how you how you're answering how you're asking your first question, Adam. Go. Uh, yeah, my first question, which you know, it's a t- it's an interesting. I think it will give an interesting answer. That what's the stupidest metaphorical hill that you'd die on? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. Um so many things oh yeah like something stu- stupid like for example when i was a kid i'm a bit older than you guys so like freddo's used to be five pence you know um yeah and now i know i'm 25 and i maintain that freddo's should still be five pence it's i've fallen foul of major inflation because now they're 25 pence and you can't buy like five of them for 25 and now you got to do 25 times five i don't know what that is so freddo's is probably my stupidest hill to die on or chips 50. I, I i don't like i don't like um like you know the curly chips or crinkled chips just like normal <sighs> normal normal chips like you'd get at like mcdonald's or kfc that that is that you know i'll, I'll die on those stupid hills I, I'm, I'm willing to die on so many hills you know what i mean which is why I think, i'm kind of a fool i think the, the freddo's <laughs> one is pretty 
normal. I know I, I remember when they were 5p and that seems, again, like you say, it just seems to be ridiculous that they're now 25, but curly oh. fries, they're good. Curly oh, fries. I, don't, I don't know. You, is it definitely curly fries or is it crinkled fries? Crinkled, crinkled, okay. really annoying. So curly fries, like the occasionally curly fries, you're okay with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Oh, they're awesome. the best, and that would be a hill that we would be throwing good. off the podcast for. So, <laughs> so what you that power? <laughs> if there's like a pub meal where you can pay like an extra one pound to get the upgraded curly fries, <laughs> I know yes, I shouldn't, definitely. but it's worth it. Why shouldn't well, you? Cook. Curly fries and small doses are okay. I still don't think they're better than kind of your normal chips, but um, crinkled cut chips, yeah, they're, they're no good at all. No good at all. Okay. Nigel, do you have a question to put to our Ooh. guest? Uh, oh, I don't even know what to ask. Uh, don't know, favourite F1 moments then, I guess. That's a bit of a boring one, but still. <laughs> nah, it's an F1 podcast. Yeah. Ah, there's so many. Sometimes. There's too many. Like, like, um, it's like what I was saying. I'm, 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 I'm like an F1 tragic. I, I, th- I think I've missed maybe like one qualifying session in the last ten years. Um, on, do you know what I mean? Like, 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 there's people's weddings that I would skip. For, no, no, no. The Monaco Grand Prix on. Do you think I'm going to some <laughs> wedding? Like, um, but, um, but, um, it's, it's, it's like my own wedding. It's like, ah, oh, I'm not having my own wedding scheduled as like the Canadian Grand Prix weekend. You're gonna have to find a free calendar. Um. So my favourite one, this is probably topical because obviously God rest his soul, Murray Walker passed away and I miss, mm. miss him so much. Um, Italian Grand Prix in 1999. Um, I started watching Formula 1 around 97. Mika Hakkinen spins off at the old Retrofilio chicane where it used to be left, right, left, right as opposed to the right and then the left where they go now. Hakkinen spins out, he throws the steering wheel out. Murray's gone bananas. The Tifosi's roaring because obviously he's fighting Eddie Irvine for the World Championship. Hakkinen's crying in the trees. That visual image, like I always say, like if you want to kind of understand Formula 1, like the passion of it, that kind of five minutes... Mm. Um, Murray and Martin Brundle were on fire. The roar of the crowd, like those V10s were so loud and you could hear the scream of the crowd above even the cars coming down the main straight. So that to me is probably my favourite. Um, just as a three-year-old going, wow, you know what I mean? So it was just, yeah. that was like, I knew, I already liked it before then. Like I love Formula One before then, but I was like, I'm, I'm not missing a race for the world now. Like, I don't care if there's an earthquake outside. If, if the Azerbaijan Grand Prix is on, I'm staying here and watching the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. I tell you, has anyone cried or at an F1 race or a sporting moment? I don't think I cried, but I was just completely gutted when Lewis lost in 2007. Oh, really? Like, it was just... and Because that weekend, England lost in the Rugby World Cup final on the Saturday, oh, yeah. and Lewis lost the championship on the Sunday, which has to be like one of the worst weekends of sport. Like it's conceivable to think up, so yeah, that's kind of. I just feel like f- remember feeling really good. Oh, that I might not. I think actually because I was quite little, so I don't think I watched the whole race. I only like found out in the morning. Oh, I like watched the start, and because it was at Brazil, it was quite. I can't remember. I might be making that up. I know I did for the final, um, but yeah, I just kind of remember feeling really, really sad after that. I, I cried after the 2008 Brazil one because yeah. I was a Ferrari I, fan I, then. I was going to say Yeah, I wanted to win. Yeah, that was my cried after that. That was my one as well. Like I'm Ferrari fan. Like I could say Schumacher before I could say like actual English words. 
Um, so I've been kind of a Ferrari guy all my life. And then for Felipe to come back to Sao Paulo and, you know, um, his home track and, and uh, you know, to lose it in that way was, yeah, that was heartbroken. And the really sad thing is, is he never even got another shot at it. Because um, yeah. obviously the following year, he gets hit in the head with the spring. And then for one reason or another, it never really happened again. But but that was the closest um, that I ever came to with a sporting event. I remember really noticing it when Felipe Massa walked down the pit lane at the 2016 Brazilian Grand Prix. Yeah. That was touching um, when he was given a standing ovation by the Mercedes crew, by the Ferrari crew. And he didn't have, he probably would have been given it by the whole team, but Williams were third in the line that time because they were actually decent. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I remember. And, and I, I think I remember the best thing about that was it was a live track. I mean, the pit lane had been closed because of where he crashed, I think, but, um, is they let his wife and son walk in out just into the pit lane and give him a hug in the pit lane, which is, you know, so against the rules, but was so perfect and brilliant for that time. And that was a really touching moment. I also remember feeling really happy when Jensen Button won. I was about to say, I was about to say, Jensen's first win was second on my one as well, because 2000 he debuted. So like, again, I kind of like, grew up with Jensen and then he had a good year at Williams in 2000 and then he got kicked mm. out because Frank liked playing driver merry-go-round all the time and he had to go have two bad years with the Benetton team he fell out with Briatore he fell out with Villeneuve and you thought this is never going to happen for Jensen and, and then you know in, in just the most bizarre weekend like I remember that weekend he had an engine blow up Alonso and Hamil- uh, Michael got penalties in practice and it was just the craziest race, the craziest afternoon. One of them days where Formula One, I've always said when Formula One goes bananas, like when you've just got a bonkers race, I don't think there's a sport out there that can come close to it. You just have days. You just have days like Baku 2017, Montreal 2011. You just have days where you don't know. Monza last year. Ah, <laughs> third would be Monza. Third would be Monza. Um where, where did I meet Gasly? I met him at an F3 event. I don't even know where. Um, wow. just, 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 just signed a cap. Um, and I thought, ah, we'll, we'll, we'll support Pierre Gasly now. And then he came through. He won the F2 championship, or GP2 as it was then. Um, then he did the Japanese formula. And then obviously, he was brilliant in his first season at Toro Rosso. And then, you know, Red Bull really... Yeah, like I'm not a big Red Bull guy anyways, but they really went down in my estimation with how they treated him. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he loses his friend at Spa and then he come back and then win a Grand Prix and just, yeah, that was an amazing race as well. well what a day that was. Yeah, I think on, on the flip side to you then, or you three then, the 08, like Brazil race was just incredible for me. Like okay. that's just, at, at the right age, should just be completely like in absorbs all. in the sport. Yeah, it was it's so good. I think, like, looking back, I, you know, obviously Massa probably should have won the championship, but, you know, just in that moment, it was... That makes it all crazy. the better. Makes it all the sweeter. Yeah. Um, one, like, I, I think one, I watched that in a bar somewhere. And One of the craziest great. races. And because and, and I think, like you said, Tobin, I'm a bit younger than you and Freddie, you know, old older generations. But for me, it was like Lewis was kind of the person that I, it, I got into F1 because of him, I think I was watching the US Grand Prix 07. And I didn't have any idea what was going on, but Second I just kind of, yeah, just got involved from there. And to, yeah, for kind of to go through that journey of and f- finish in 2007 with such a heartbreaking 
loss then to come back for 08 was just incredible. Yeah, I mean, there's so many fantastic moments of Formula 1 and we all love them so much and that's why we're here. And I think I agree with you, Ty. I say this a couple of times. Like Formula 1 can be really boring. It can be tedious and it can be so monotonous. But when... When it's not, there's not. It's the best thing in the world for me, and it's it's ridiculous how how something could just get turned on its head like crazy, and I think that's one of the the best things about the sport and the best things. Well, just about motorsport and in general, but with Formula One, obviously, you've got the grandeur and you've got the history and you've got the the um the pinnacle and the the glamour. So that's just where it where it sits in just in the world. Um, and it feels like a lot of the questions we had were kind of not as um, whimsical as ones we, we we were going. We've just we've decided to start going for. Um, so let's go for some generic Formula One ones. So like um, one I wrote down. You you talk about Gasly. Where do you think Pierre Gasly will finish in Imola? Fourth. Nice. Ooh, bold. I like Me it too. I think he's going to DNF, but I'll talk about that next week. <laughs> on, on, okay, on kind of that note, not really. There's a numbers link. Um, who will win the championship and give us your top five drivers' championship? Not oh, well, uh, Lewis Hamilton will win it. Um, Max Verstappen second. Valtteri Bottas third. Fourth. Do you know what it is? I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Lando Norris fourth and Charles Leclerc fifth. Well, that, really? That's cool. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're not on the Perez hype train. I just feel like weird things will happen at certain stages of Perez's season. season. All it's that, like, all that could be like Harry well. Potter, <laughs> the um, like rogue broom, and then he has the rogue bludger the next. Yeah, year. yeah, it's just gonna know. be like that. It's like crazy things, and like his wheels start wobbling or something. Like I said, I, I just well, Max Verstappen like... does have seven Horcruxes. I don't know what any of that means. I've never seen a Harry Potter film in my life, so I don't, I don't know what any of that means. Um, but yeah, um, you know, that's my top five. What What do you think of Fernando Alonso's comeback? And uh, at last year when it was announced, was you like in support of it? Um. I'm I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, a 39 year old guy shouldn't come back to Formula One because you know, he's too old or he's past it or whatever, you know. I, th- I feel like he's still got the passion for it. And if he's still got the passion for it, um, there's no reason as to why he shouldn't come back. Um, and it seems pretty clear from the weekend that just went, he still has the passion for it. I think his biggest problem is going to be that that Alpine isn't competitive. Yeah. And at some point, like, Leopards don't change their spots and Fernando will always go back to being the very difficult, very abrasive character to manage because that's just how he is. I don't think age has necessarily mellowed him, you know. Um if he gets past and he feels like it's a GP2 engine, he's gonna let him know. Mm. Or like that time he was angry at Palmer all day. Um <laughs> he's always been like that. He's he's always been like that. I think that's gonna be his biggest problem. But in terms of like again as a fan, as a TV spectacle, two time world champion Fernando Alonso, Le Mans winner coming back to Formula One. I think overall it's, it's, it's good for Formula One and team radio is going to be a lot more interesting as the season unfolds. Mm, he's, he's always got that chip on, his, chip on his shoulder, I think, Fernando, from 
a long time ago, 50 yeah. years ago. He's, he's already that's, had that. Yeah, which... like well, he, he had it before as well. He's mm. always been he's always been that spiky guy, difficult to work with, but that's kind of what made him successful, mm. I suppose, as well. Makes great television as well. Mm. That's what I'm saying. So as a fan, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's back. We could go on for so long just talking about what we love about this sport, but we have got to, we have got to end it basically because we've got them for way longer than we probably should have done, but here we go. Um, so yeah, so that was um, our episode. Um, thanks very much everyone for listening or watching um, wherever you found us. Obviously we're on YouTube, we're on Spotify, we're on Acast, we're on iTunes or Apple podcasts, wherever it's supposed to be cool. We're on Google podcasts. Um, if you want us on anywhere, let us know. We've got a Twitter account. It's at winging it F1. Um, I'm Freddie. That's Adam. That's Nigel. Um, Taib, um, do you want to tell everyone where you can be found, where people can come and not literally love you? <laughs> ah, well, yeah, not literally. I mean, unless you want it to snow because it's snowing right now. Um, <laughs> no, listen, um, my, my Twitter handle's at Taib Abu One. Um, it's pretty straightforward. And if, if, if you want, if you want basically irreverent opinions on, on basically Formula One or the NFL, then you know, you know where to find me. Brilliant. We've loved having you on. You've been an absolute mm. gem. Oh, Thank you. No, do you know what it is? It's been an absolute pleasure. Like I've said it before, there's no sport like Formula One and to have like similar people of that mindset to talk to about Formula One, I could do this all day. You're so right. So yeah, brilliant. Thanks very much everyone for watching and yeah, stay safe. See you next week. Have a good time. Bye everybody. Bye.